Keeping It 101, a Killjoy's introduction to religion podcast. For 2021-2022, our work is made possible through a public humanities fellowship from the University of Vermont's Humanities Center. We're grateful to live, teach, and record on the current ancestral and unceded lands of the Abnaki, Wabanaki, and Akosisko peoples. And as always, you can find material ways to support Indigenous communities on our website. What's up, nerds? Hi, hello. I'm Megan Goodwin, a scholar of American religions, race, and gender. Hi, hello. I'm Elise Morgenstein First, a historian of religion, Islam, race, and racialization, and South Asia. Shalom Aleichem, Megan! Aleichem of Shalom? That's not right. This is going to be a long episode, I can tell already. Already? Already you're on me? Ernf, do you want to tell the people what's going on today? Today, nerds. We are talking Judaism, which definitely means I've got Mel Brooks jokes stored up and also <laughs> some killer Yiddish phrases at the ready. <laughs> but spoilers, Judaism is bigger than Funny Men from Brooklyn and your whole network. And also, I mean, most things are bigger than you, I guess. <laughs> it is. It is indeed. It, Jewish studies is also a, a real field of expertise, which famously is is not mine at all despite jews being my faith community to say nothing of my religio-racial ethnic identity so thankfully to help round us and by us i mean me out (laughs) we have a stellar guest expert yeah we do dr sherry rabin is associate professor of jewish studies and religion at oberlin college she works on judaism in the u.s perhaps especially in the american south and she has lots to teach us, and I can't wait for y'all to hear from her later on. Me too. All all kidding aside, she is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And all punny jokes aside, Judaism is weirdly important, not just to me as a Jew, mm. but to the world religion's paradigm, which is why we're talking about it today. Its role, Judaism's role in the world religions paradigm affects Jews in ways we haven't really seen yet into our deep Mm. dive into this system. So why don't we just get into it? Yeah, let's do it. It's pronounced Frankenstein. I I mean, lesson plan. Today, nerds, we are talking about Judaism in the same way that we've been talking about all these other so-called world religions. We're stressing plurality. We're talking about divergences. We are interrogating how and why Judaism has a place in the world religions model. And because Elise is Elise, we are punctuating it all with not just Mel (laughs) Mel Brooks jokes, but even more Mel Brooks jokes than usual. He's one of my favorite Jews, and he makes a lot of really smart jokes about religion. So it seems only right. It does. It does. So today's thesis is pretty basic. Judaism is an interesting case study to think about privilege and position in the world religions model. Jews are diverse and interesting, and you likely don't know about the diversity because despite having such a prominent slot in the silly world religions paradigm model, Judaism isn't there because of its own merits. It's Yeah, it's there because of its relationship to Christianity or how Christianity imagines its relationship to Judaism and Jews. 
white Christian imperialism strikes again! Dun dun dun. The 101 on today, the section where we do professor work. All right, Megan, let's just get moving. So as a, as a Jew, I have a few things I would, I would like to say, like to get some things off my chest before we get into the meat of this thing. Yeah, right. Take the wheel or fork and knife, I guess. You don't eat meat. What's happening? <laughs> I mean, if it's pastrami. All right. Fair enough. Or the chop liver. The chop, chop liver. Uh, okay, first and foremost, I'd like to talk about Judaism on its own today, mm -hmm. which means without talking about anti-Jewish stuff or anti-Semitism writ mm -hmm. large. But the thing is, is that in reality, I'm going to have to talk about both of those things because quite a lot of Jewish practice, including things like language itself, is rooted in histories of Jewish exclusion, if not outright persecution and, you know, murder. Mm. I want to name out loud that this is different than what we've seen elsewhere. When we talk about other so-called major religions, we aren't usually immediately talking about hate or that a community is defined by its outsiders. Yeah. Hate isn't the only interesting about Jews. I mean, hello, gorgeous. I'm right here. <laughs> Beautiful. But... Jews have never been a demographic majority in the world, never ran a major empire, never really even dominated a powerful city. Jews have been minoritized nearly from the jump, and that's a big-ass jump, at least in our popular imagination, since the mm. Jewish calendar assumes some semblance of community for 5782 years. <laughs> Which is to say, Megan, I, I actually have a question. Why is Judaism one of the classic five religions listed in the world's religions paradigm we are so keen to talk about this year? Hmm. Well, in case our nerds don't recall, we said way back at the start of History of the World, Religions Part 1, that the traditional world religions model was Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. Sometimes it was Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and heathens, since like Hindus could fit into that idolatry category because this model fucking blows, because it's imperialist trash. Either way, though, Jews were always part of the model, despite literally never being a majority. And you're asking me why? I, d I am asking that. Can you tell the nerds? I can. The answer will not surprise you. The answer is Christianity, and specifically white European Christianity. Gan, do go on. <laughs> Christians, who we have argued and have receipts to prove, invented the world religions model at the same time they invented scientific racism, no less. But as much as they disliked Jews theologically or provisionally allowed Jews some rights and freedoms in their kingdoms and empires and budding nation states, they couldn't and can't ignore Judaism. And why, I hear you asking? Because, texts, because the Hebrew Bible is the first part of the Christian Bible. Pause. Which meant Christians can't actually throw the baby Jesus <laughs> I got you good. <laughs> That's really good. This is what I get for not reading ahead. You cannot. <laughs> oh, man. That's like a classic blooper reel right there. Woof. Oh, you cannot throw the baby Jesus out with the baptismal water. <laughs> Judaism is important in the model, not because Jews are important, or even because Judaism gets described kindly in this model, 
Spoilers, it does not. Judaism is important in the world religions paradigm because it has to be in order for Christianity to be solidly number one in this model. Yeah, Viklug, so smart, so smart, dear. <laughs> yeah, nothing makes me want to flex my Yiddish more than a bunch of goyim sitting around deciding that my long religious history is important only in service to its own. Yeah. So see what I mean when I say that I want to talk about Judaism on its own, but also that's impossible because of the very structures in which we talk about religion academically. Meh. So let me say more. The popular, very legally important idea that Jews are legalistic and only legalistic is a remnant of this model, of this depiction of Jews in a so-called scientific way. Because early, quote, science of religion or philosophy of religion scholars wrote things like Christianity is a natural evolution from Judaism because the Jewish God is a mean father, but a grown-up's religion uh, understanding of God is about kindness and love and forgiveness. That's an emotionally mature religion and God. A primitive understanding of God is here are the rules, follow them assiduously. An evolved understanding of God is that there are rules, but being so uptight about them doesn't make any sense. Only unevolved people are slaves to religion. And I want you to hear all the words I'm using on purpose, right? Evolved, slaves, immature, father. Yeah, that hurts. This is what's going on when Christians, specifically white Protestant Christians, are making up the world's religions model while they are also doing scientific racism and enslaving Black Africans. So that is the soup from which religious studies emerges. Judaism not doing so good in this model. Which is also related to like a sidebar on this exact theme. Because like when y'all hear people, because you, dear nerd, would, would never say this, but you might hear schmucks say shit like, my God isn't wrathful, or the Jewish God, or Jews love laws, or even when your inclusion, equity, and diversity officer only knows about what Jews cannot eat, but not a thing more so that they don't get in trouble. I want you to hear in those phrases the history of anti-Jewish interpretation and anti-Jewish classification of religions. Because I, famously a Jew, find love, freedom, liberation, forgiveness, and goodness in my holy traditions. Yeah, without the so-called New Testament addenda. Because Judaism is not just rules and regulations and that shalt not, regardless of what this system has taught us. So if that's an image of Judaism in your head, if the rules or the before Christianity, the Old Testament, if that's an image that you carry with you, it isn't just anti-Semitism. It's also the world's religions model that values Christianity over all else and that has to differentiate between Christian ideas and Jewish ones. Ugh, yeah, totally. Mm. I think the other maybe paradoxical part about Judaism inhabiting such a prominent role in the world religions model, but also for the wrongest, grossest, racistest, imperialist of reasons, is that the general public still has no freaking idea about Jews. Up to and including whether or not it's okay to say Jews or whether that's a slur. Like, that's an issue that comes up in my world religions class every year. When I Woof. teach, yeah, yeah. And it's that moment of like, oh, no, in what context have you been hearing Jews and Judaism talked about? Because it doesn't seem healthy or good. 
Yikes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and when I teach, students are straight up shocked a lot of times to learn that there are more more than one kind of, of Jew, particularly when I was teaching in North Carolina. They are straight up shocked to learn that Jews live in a lot of places and are even from those places. I get a lot of like, what do you mean there are as many as, if not more, Jews in New York than there are in the state of Israel? There's a whole thing. And then some of my students are themselves Jewish, which raises some interesting questions about Jewish proximity to white Christians, as also proximity to white privilege and power. And that is another space where I see students, my Jewish students, particularly wrestling in these classes. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't the moment for this, maybe, because I'd like to move into types of Jews, which you so beautifully teed up for me, and regionality, and like, oh, the places Jews go. (laughs) They are a traveling people. But Jews with European heritage and pale skin uh, claiming that they don't uh, benefit from white privilege in the USA is fucked and fraught at best. But that is not what we are doing right now. Right now, let's talk diversity of practice. Goodwin, Goodwin, do you want to say some stuff? I mean, when do I never, (laughs) when do I not want to say some stuff? But do I? You bet. First of all, all rules apply. Judaism cannot be one thing because Judaism is what Jews do which in this case isn't just a cute thing we say, it is a thing Jews say, and not just Elise. Uh, (laughs) Judaism is frankly sort of famous for honoring dissent, disagreement, and multiple interpretations. Jews tell jokes about three Jews, twice as many opinions, and that isn't separate from theology. Yes, there's the Torah. It's our secret word of the day. The written Hebrew Bible, but that's not all Judaism is. But I do love, 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 love. Rabbi Daniel Ruttenberg's definition of Torah that is living. You have to live the Torah. Then there's the Talmud. It's our secret word of the day. Which is rabbinic and oral law, essentially. There's a long history of midrash, interpretation, commentaries, innovative ways to think about the stories. I always think of this as like filling in, not plot holes, but like it's not non-fanfic. Love it. Definitely. Yeah, like this is where we get the it's story of Lilith, fanfic. right? Like it's it's where we get the story of Lilith, which is my all-time favorite midrash. Uh, even if these things are written down, they're not solidly set in stone because Jews more or less assume that the world is changing. And if their sacred sources are meant to speak to all people in all ages, then it's up to them, the Jews, to make sense of the sacred source in a contemporary world. In short, then Jews have seemingly always known that Judaism is what Jews do. There's built-in arguments literally written down in the sacred sources, which I bet is why you get so mad that the world religions model makes it so that Judaism is flattened out and stuck in time and like it's this one thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't help me think, hey, those white Christian colonizers were just people thinking they were doing the right thing. No, 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 it doesn't help with that. So what I hear you saying is that Jews have baked plurality into their sacred traditions, and people often miss this because, you know, reasons. (laughs) Racism, imperialism reasons, yes. Uh, Yeah. And one of the things I think is true is that in the U.S., we can't, like, it's not helped in the U.S. because we can't think of diversity in Jewish communities or practices because we're only imagined to be from Eastern or Northern Europe, places Mm. that my people are from, places that spoke Yiddish or look like Fiddler on the Roof or that got absolutely destroyed during World War II, the Third Reich. 
Soviet uh-huh. Union and the Holocaust, say nothing of the Cossacks. But yes, in the U.S., that is a majority of the Jewish community, not the totality, but the majority. That said, historically, historically, places like Poland, Russia, Ukraine, Germany, Austria, the Czech Republic, those are those are not remotely the only places that Jews are from. Do you want to elaborate? Well, as Mel Brooks, and I suppose Monty Python teaches us, <laughs> the Spanish Inquisition did some work to remove the Jews from the Iberian oh. Peninsula. Oh, yeah, work, work was done. But before that, before we are ceremoniously kicked out with a song and dance number, there was a huge, vibrant Jewish community there. In fact, that community had its own Yiddish, so to speak, its own ethnically defined language. But instead of Yiddish, which is German and Hebrew, and linguists don't kill me, I know it's more complicated than that, but it's an easy equation. If Yiddish is German plus Hebrew, there was this other language, Spanish plus Hebrew, a language that we now call Ladino. Ladino, some experts think, was the language of Jews not just in Spain, like what we would now picture as the nation state of Spain, Mm -hmm. but in all the places pre-1492 Iberian traders and empires would have been, which is to say, like, the whole Mediterranean. Places that include Northern Africa, Mm. and especially Morocco, since it's like a stone throw from Spain, as well as Turkey, Greece, and other parts of the of the Balkans. Uh, in, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I got stuck on the stone throwing with the you know, fourteen ninety two for Ferdinand and Isabella get rid of the Jews, and the Muslims. Uh, but yeah, right also, now we're focusing on the Jews. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, okay. It's our secret word of the day. So Yiddish is slash was a language spoken by Jews in Eastern and Northern Europe. And I know those Jews are often called Ashkenazi and they are a major population of U.S. Jews. And you're telling me there's also Ladino, a language that I know is spoken by Jews we would call um, Sephardi or Jews from the Iberian Peninsula. And there are basically ethnic divisions within a religious and racialized group. That's a lot. There's also more. More? (laughs) There's also Mizrahi Jews, which is a little confusing because it has a lot to do with the nation state of Israel, which I am not going to get into because I've done it elsewhere. And every time I do, I get fellow Jews sending me hate mail because I am apparently the wrong sort of Jew. And I don't mean like annoying DMs. I mean like call the cops threats. So I'm not into it, fam. Please stop. If you know a cousin who's doing this to me, call them off. That said, in Israel's establishment, the goal was to populate the so-called Jewish state with, um, you know, Jews. Mm-hmm. And, and there are categories of Jews. Mizrahi, it's our secret word of the day, is one of those categories that gets established. And there's evidence that before 1948, Jews would never have said, I'm Mizrahi, which is a legal ethnic category for Jews specifically from the Middle East, Western Asia, which if that doesn't make sense to you, think of countries like Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Uh and Northern Africa. But sometimes Jews from Northern Africa are called Maghrebi. It's our secret word of the day. Because Maghreb is a word for North Africa. Okay. All of which is to say that I want our nerds to hear that there are long-standing Jewish communities in all of these places such that we need names for them. Okay. 
So you're saying that even though we think of places like Iraq and Iran and Turkey and Morocco and Egypt as like exclusively Muslim today, at some point, these places held significant Jewish populations? That's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, can I can I digress for a second? Yeah, like I could stop you. <laughs> but yes, please do. <laughs> so when I was living and studying in Tajikistan, which is a country in Central Asia, um, I was studying there because I couldn't study in Iran because of U.S. laws. And I was learning uh -huh. Persian because Tajik is a dialect of Persian, which you would think is a good substitute for living in Iran, except that Tajik is written in Cyrillic, like Russian, which broke my brain. Straight up <laughs> broke my brain. Boy. In this middle... Like, I'm in the middle of a brain break, two-month period. We take this trip to the mountains. Now, now being good nerds, sister of the pod, Kathy Foodie and I, had read a bunch of books about Tajikistan before we headed there. Sure. And one of the things that we read about was this illustrious history of Jews as musicians in, like, Tajik royal court spaces. Mm -hmm. But also how those very musician Jews during the USSR's brutal reign there were all forced um, underground, like every religion in the USSR. And like so many people were sent to Siberian work camps. And in the midst of all this, Jews escaped to the mountains. So we're in the mountains. We're like, we're like in the mountains. Like, I mean, like hairpin turns every five seconds. And we see some, we see some Jews there, mm -hmm. noticeable mm -hmm. by their funny hats. And I, famously a Jew, get so excited that I'm like borderline yelling in my crusty ass Tajik. Hi, I'm Jewish too. Hello. Oh, no. Oh, no. And this poor Jewish man who had like been walking with goats grabs this tiny goat that he was with and like literally throws it over his shoulder and fucking runs like just runs which I had thought this story was going to be about oh my god there's Jews in Tajikistan which is a country most Americans can't even locate let alone associate with Judas history but now that I said the story I'm worried that this is actually a story of how I did a, a hate crime <laughs> primary sources <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry okay i'm back jews in the mountains check <laughs> glad that you said funny hats because i don't think that's appropriate for me to say anyway there's actually like a very real history of like coded hats particularly mm -hmm. in that part of the world so that's mm -hmm. both inappropriate and actually historically accurate shorthand i <laughs> apologize <laughs> Ooh, all right let's jump let's move on okay 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 uh gracefully backing away beyond Jiwanju hate crimes jesus christ in foreign countries i think the larger point right was that jewish communities exist well beyond eastern europe and well beyond the yiddish speaking imaginary that that many of us have and jews are not just white people living in the u.s eating bacon if it's if it's your mom and telling jokes uh jews are richly part of places and doing judaism in those places accordingly in their own unique languages for example yeah that's exactly right would you permit me one more story even though that one took a turn <laughs> is it a hate crime i don't think so question mark okay then i will allow it <laughs> all right so when I was in India for the first time in 2003, I traveled to Kochi, which used to be a city called Cochin, oh, yeah. a small port city on the uh, Indian Ocean. Uh, so think the east coast of India. Mm -hmm. 
And, oh no, sorry, the West Coast of India. I'm like literally thinking about it and I can't tell left from right at this point. So good work, Elise. So on the West Coast of India, we're in this small city called Kochi. And I shit you not, the first sign we see in this city, like we get off the train and it's this giant sign that says Jewtown with an arrow. Oh no. And I lost my like 20 year old shit because no one ever told me that there were Jews in India. And I assumed that Jewtown was like a deeply anti-Semitic thing. And I'm ranting and raving at this moment about anti-Semitism. And I'm hyping the one other Jewish girl up <laughs> on my on my study abroad program. And we are at this point bordering on disorderly. Like we are, we are underslept and we are just off this train and we are loud. And our professor, this is a study abroad moment, remember. I'm in college, so forgive me. It's like, like, listen, girls, this is Jewtown because Cochin has this population of Jews. So like, shut up. You're embarrassing. Like we are out, we are in public. And I'm not convinced. So he literally redoes the the program of the day and is like, we are all going to the synagogue because Elise will not shut the fuck up. <laughs> and so lo and behold, we head to the synagogue that traces its roots to, wait for it, the Inquisition and the expulsion mm. of Jews from Iberia. So this is a Sephardic Jewish community that in expulsion, sets up shop in India in like the early 1500s, the 16th century. Now, I went to Hebrew school. My grandparents literally founded the synagogue and my dad literally helped build, dig the foundation of the building that would become our shul. Like I have pictures. I care a lot about religious history and Jewish history. And I had never heard of Indian Jews to the point of ranting and raving on a public street, which is a shame. <laughs> that is a shame. Dare I say, Ashonda. <laughs> anyway, all of this is to say that when Judaism is given such priority in the world religions model, it isn't actually because of all this richness that I'm trying to get at by telling you, oh, the places Jews will go. It's not that richness in our Passover seders or our ethnicities or these many languages that show up. It, it's just not. That's not why Judaism is given priority in the world religions model. It is given priority because in Europe, our proximity to whiteness and to Christianity needed to explain and relegated, and mitigated, and quite frankly, eliminated. Yeah. And we see some of that prioritization in U.S. discourses about Judaism, too. So this is not only a historical problem, nor a we-don't-know-about-global-history problem. Which, on that note, let's let Dr. Rabin, an actual expert about Judaism and Judaism in what's now the United States, talk to us about it. My name is Sherry Rabin, and I'm an expert on modern Judaism and religion in the U.S. I care that folks, my students, fellow scholars, my neighbors know about what I study because Jews have a long history and a global reach that helps us see the messiness of religion and the dynamics of power in particularly clear and important ways. Judaism is, I think, weirder than most people think it is. It is not just about believing different things about Jesus or the afterlife or what have you, but actually offers a very distinct way of understanding the world, which is shaped by Jewish legal discourses. Although in practice, most Jews are rarely in lockstep with it. Jewish canonical texts differentiate between the land of Israel and every other place. And yet Judaism has been practiced all over the world. The result is a distinctive geographic imaginary that coexists with tremendous diversity based on where Judaism is being practiced and who is in charge. Uh, in the U.S. South, for instance, where there have been 
claims that it is a new Jerusalem or a new promised land. Um, there is a distinctive Jewish food culture. Um, communities have had to cope with the material and spiritual challenges of things like yellow fever epidemics and hurricanes. And in a place shaped by evangelical Christianity and chattel slavery, many Jews embraced forms of religious thought and practice that would comport with and not challenge or, or disturb in any way their status as white Southerners. Circumcision is historically one of the Jewish practices that Christians were most disturbed by, and it has also been one of the most widely practiced. Um, this is even amongst adherents of Reformed Judaism, who otherwise claimed that Judaism was a ma matter of ethical monotheism alone, and even amongst those who, in the absence of sonograms or telephones or a nearby ritual circumciser, could not quite make that eight-day deadline mandated in the Hebrew Bible. It offers then a really visceral example of how Judaism is not just about belief and is not just what the rabbis say it should be. In recent years, things have gotten even more interesting because circumcision has ceased to be a distinctively Jewish practice, at least in the U.S. New rituals have been established to welcome baby girls into the Jewish covenant. And there's even a movement of Jews who reject circumcision altogether, insisting that they can be Jews while finding less gendered, less bloody ways to mark the birth of a Jewish baby. Jews have been part of American history from the very beginning. They did not just show up at Ellis Island in 1881. There were Jews in what became the United States as early as 1654, and in 1669, the Fundamental Constitutions of Carolina explicitly promised freedom of worship to Jews, heathens, and other dissenters from the purity of the Christian religion. This same text, by the way, also entrenched slavery, making it an unchangeable social status. So I want people to know that Jews have been part and parcel of what became the United States from the very beginning, including the good and the bad. And what's more, their religious lives have really been fundamentally shaped by that fact. Jews are a tiny group, about 0.2% of the world population, and so they are easy to write off as insignificant or unrepresentative. But in the world religions paradigm, suddenly they're one out of five of what is deemed important. This grants Judaism much more attention than it would otherwise receive, but it can also lead to some serious distortions. There are the same issues with as with other religious traditions of Judaism getting reduced to a list of beliefs, but also because its inclusion is premised on its relationship with Christianity, Judaism can sometimes get cast only as a Western or a Judeo-Christian religion that is basically like Christianity or only important insofar as it relates to Christianity, which I think can miss how distinctive and interesting Judaism is on its own, despite or maybe even because of its very small numbers. In 2018, 11 people were murdered at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh by a white nationalist who saw Jews as the masterminds of non-white immigration to the U.S., in some ways, this felt like a horrifying surprise, and yet there is a history of attacks on synagogues dating at least to the 1950s in the U.S., uh, when white supremacists bombed several, mostly in the South, claiming that Jews were orchestrating the civil rights movement. It's also worth noting that Tree of Life Congregation has its own long history, dating to the 1860s when it was founded as the second Jewish congregation in Pittsburgh and was trying to adapt to the American context kind of from that, that early date. National surveys show that most American Jews today don't belong to synagogues or regularly attend services. 
And yet these histories show how central synagogues like Tree of Life have been from very early in American history as sites of empowerment that can also tragically, and perhaps for that very reason, also become sites of vulnerability and violence. One of my biggest pet peeves is hearing Judaism says X or Judaism says Y, to which I always want to say Judaism does not have a mouth. Jews do have mouths, however, and they speak, drawing on diverse Jewish ideas and on the cultures, ideas from the cultures in which they live. And more often than not, when they speak, they are disagreeing with one another. So there is not a singular Judaism that speaks and says one particular thing. There are many, many Jews saying many, many things about what Judaism is or has been or should be. One of the things I want to pick up on here is that Jews have been in what's now the United States from when it was still unclear how it would or could become the U.S. I also, just in terms of American Judaism, want to say that we have not talked about food. And I feel like, mm, therefore, we have not talked about Judaism. Uh, I <laughs> Troll me, man. Just troll me. I'm just saying. This was so... Without going totally primary sources my own self, I spent a brief period in between college and grad school nannying for a series of Jewish families, the first of whom were the Scheinfelds, uh, and they fed me a lot because I was broke and they are nice, but also because Judaism and food are BFF. So I will stash actual academic sources in the show notes, but for right now, I just want to shout out to my friend and newly tenure-track Judaism scholar, Dr. Shana Scheinfeld who fed me every Shabbat and a bunch of other times while she was at Harvard. That is lovely. And we have had some requests for like an episode on religion and food. So maybe that is a place we could explore that in an upcoming season, but not this one. This one's <laughs> history of the world's religions. Part one. Part one. <laughs> for now though, it is time to move on to a little bit, leave it. It's 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 a little bit, leave it. Where we're letting you know what we think the most important, most interesting, or most challenging part of this topic is. It is a little bit to leave you with. I think my a little bit leave it for today is just how recent so much of this history and diversity is, right? Like you talked about the Mizrahi designation. I just, I know we're not talking about anti Semitism, but I feel like. <sighs> in a space and a time where the history of genocide against Jewish people is, and not only Jewish people, is so recent that it is mind scrambling to be in a time and place where folks are trying to say that genocide did not happen or that uh, for some reason Nazis aren't bad to everybody anymore. And that is fucking gross and wrong and you should punch Nazis and that's the last thing I'm I'm gonna talk about that the end. Well I think my little bit leave it tease up nicely with that, which is to say I wanna make sure that everyone heard what I did not say. I did not make this episode about the Holocaust. And while I let my hero Mel Brooks sing his song about the Inquisition, I did not make it about that either or the various other moments in history the Jews have been expulsed like from somewhere. Uh. In fact, while anti-Semitism is the background of this episode, this was not about the long, terrifying history of it, nor was this episode about Israel on purpose, because far too often when we say Jews, we think anti-Semitism or Israel. And while there are 
a lot of deeply important things to say about both of those gigantic issues. And believe me, I know I'm writing a book on the yeah. racialization of religion and how Islamophobia and anti-Semitism come from the same pot, really. Mm. Reducing Judaism to trauma porn is a trope that I did not want this podcast to engage in. And frankly, it's a trope that is big. And it is also anti-Semitic to reduce Jews to their experiences of hate, just like it is anti-Semitic to reduce Jews to the modern nation state of Israel. And that's a hate crime I'm unwilling to commit on my own podcast, even though I did scare a man in the hills of Tajikistan. Made him run away with his goat. Well, if you don't know, now you know. And if you don't know, now you know. A segment in which we get one factoid each. My factoid for today is about the Constitution. Elise, did you know that the very first constitutional protection for religious difference in what is now the United States followed a conversation between Moses Sexus, who was an 18th century Rhode Island Jew and community leader, who wrote to George Washington and asked our first president, who was a slaveholder and gross, but this part of the Constitution is useful, asked our first president to hold to the promise of America. A country that should, anyway, give to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance. This correspondence helped shape Article 6, Paragraph 3 of the Constitution, meaning it predates even the First Amendment. It is the very first guarantee that folks should not have to be Christian in order to receive the full protections of and the full privileges of American citizenship. That's really interesting. And that goes really well with what Dr. Raven said. Yeah. My factoid is that I love Jewish comedy and Yiddish because <laughs> when we roast you, we motherfucking roast you. And when we curse you, we like literally curse you. <laughs> One of my favorite curses is like, may you grow like an onion with your head in the ground and your feet in the air, which doesn't mean anything. But when my grandmother would say it, it was like, oh my God, she's, she, you like, watch out. You might actually turn into some sort of root vegetable. <laughs> Yikes. Anyway, the fun. <laughs> I mean, I love curses. So, yeah, that's great. And if you don't know, now you know. On that note, don't fucking pack up yourself yet, nerds. It is time for homework. Homework? What homework? As always, we've got citations, references, and other goodies, plus transcripts, stashykeepingit101.com for every single episode. Check it out. All right. So our guest for today, Dr. Sherry Rabin, is uh, pretty prolific. She's got a great book called Jews on the Frontier, Religion and Mobility in 19th Century America. We have a couple of podcast interviews that she's done as well if you can't get to her book in the library. She has an article called Mohalim, Not Missionaries, Outsider and Insider Bodies in Southern Religious History. Uh, great entry in one of my favorite online resources for teaching religion. So the imminent frame has this universe of terms cluster uh, that she uh, contributed a piece about space and place for highly recommended uh, primary source for congregation tree of life in the 1860s. Um, it is in the strictest Jewish Orthodox style, a contract between Isaac Wolf and congregation Etzhim. In Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in New Perspectives in American Jewish History, a documentary tribute to Jonathan Sarna. Uh, let's see what else. Simon Gerstmann's War, Religion, Loyalty, and Memory in Post-Civil War Claims Court. Oh, man, you, 
<laughs> I never get to have this many American sources. This is exciting. That is in the Journal of Southern History. And then finally, from Dr. Rabin, Jews and Sexuality in the Americas, 1519 to 1880, with Laura Liebman in Religion Compass that just came out last June. Um, so that's that's a lot already. I have a couple other pieces that I feel like may be helpful, particularly if you, nerds like me, teach a global religion class and are not an expert in Judaism. So pieces I find myself referring back to over and over again. Um, Eva Mrazak, I'm sure that I am slaughtering her name, or sorry, Eva, uh, has a great kind of quick reference about comparing the, <laughs> the title of this is Mean Angry Old Testament God versus Nice Loving New Testament God, question mark. <laughs> that's fantastic it's great so, talking about why a that is a wrong way to think about judaism b, and b uh it's also a wrong way to read both the hebrew and christian bible because jesus uh, is not always nice and loving either people forget about that so uh that piece i find really useful i really like meredith warren's piece for the conversation uk about why judeo-christian values are a dog whistle myth peddled by the far right and the way that Judeo-Christian as a framework, whatever work it has done historically, now gets used uh, both in anti-Semitic and Islamophobic ways. Um, I really like Sarah Imhoff's work. She has published a bunch of stuff, but I particularly appreciate the work that she's done about uh, Judaism and law specifically around uh, the Supreme Court and the way that it occludes Judaism in the way that it thinks about religion. Um, I have some relatively recent news items about the Abu Yudaya community, which is a community of Ugandan converts to Judaism who were brought into Judaism by a conservative Jewish movement who were then denied right of return to the state of Israel, which raises, again, questions about the racialization of global Judaism. Um, I really like Rebecca Epstein uh, Levi's work. She's got a great series for Bitch that I enjoy, particularly a piece about fandom I recommend. I use, because I'm a dork, a, a number of spoken word pieces in my global religions class, but one that I use every single time is Vanessa Hittery's spoken word piece called The Hebrew Mamita, where she talks about growing up in Brooklyn, I think, and not feeling connected to her Jewish uh, heritage until much later in her life and the way that she's kind of rethought a bunch of stereotypes. Um, we already mentioned Dr. Or sorry, we already mentioned Rabbi Ruttenberg. You should definitely 100% follow her on Twitter. She is the Radar, T-H-E-R-A-D-R. Uh, and then I just taught a film called This Is Where I Leave You, where a number of high profile actors play a family uh, that is all sitting Shiva together uh, after the dad has died. And it teaches beautifully. My students really liked it. And it really helps disrupt a lot of non-Jewish students' assumptions about what's involved in religion, because it shows you the sitting together and the arguing and the food and the fact that, no, you can't just do the prayers at home and no, you can't just do them alone. It is about doing things together. So I like it. The end. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> So I'm going to keep my suggestions to non-U.S. contexts, uh, mostly. So Nathan Katz has a classic book on Jews in India called Who Are the Jews of India? Hmm. <laughs> it's, it's old at this point, but it's good and, and solid. 
Esther David just came out with a really great book this year, or, or 2021, I should say, called Bene Appetit, uh, The Cuisine of Indian Jews. It's a cookbook, and it is good. That's an amazing title. I am, um, yeah, bravo. It's really good. <laughs> That's great. And then um, Li Hong Song is a fantastic, I don't want to say up-and-coming scholar, but he has a lot of things in the pipeline. Um, but I had read this article a couple of years ago, and I'm excited to see what else he's got. But this article is high recommend, and it's called From Jews in China to Jews and China in the Journal of Modern huh. Jewish Studies. Um, and then there's... Uh, Olga, Olga Barova's book called Modern Ladino Culture, Press, Belle Lettres, and Theater in the Late Ottoman Empire, where she's um, tracing the like flourishing of this um, yeah, Ottoman Jewish community that uses Ladino in all these ways. And it's like this amazing like literary theater play. It's it's a really great book. Cool. If you are more interested in young adult fiction, I'm really into Vera Hiran Nadani's newest book called How to Find What You're Not Looking For, which is about a Jewish and Hindu or Indian couple um, just after loving made interracial marriage legal in the United States. And it really is about all of the prejudices they face, both within their families and from the outside world. And it um, has been a hit with my eight-year-old and my mom whose age so, I will not disclose on the podcast. <laughs> Don't worry about it. This is after Loving v. Virginia, which is a Supreme Court case that makes interracial marriage legal in 1967. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I loved a nonfiction slash memoir slash like treatise almost. It's called People Love Dead Jews, Reports oh. from a Haunted Present by Dara Horn. It's not light, but it is um, exploring that thing that we talked about before, where there's like, when we talk about Jews, we are often talking about what what I'm calling trauma porn. And mm -hmm. that's the way we like to describe Jews or to picture them in media, even when Jews should be the protagonists, like in stories of the Holocaust. Woof. So a heavy book, but honestly beautiful. Oh, hey, sorry. Uh, again, we didn't focus on Holocaust Shoah stuff, but given the bullshit of this year we also recommend mouse you should read it you should send it to libraries the end yeah i mean yes <laughs> i'm gonna save my mel brooks rex for our final episode of the season no spoilers but obviously mm. all of his stuff is a sign because it's good and it's funny and it yeah. really is the sound not just of my childhood but of my grandparents <laughs> like that is how they sound okay. anyway all right. Big thanks to those of you writing reviews on iTunes, uh, Amazon, and Google. It really does help, I promise. It's it's worth your time, and we appreciate you. Plus, if you want to be a nerd of the week, if you write us a review, we can see your silly handle, you sillies. Our nerds of the week this time are David Ayak. Uh, that's David underscore I-A-C. Um, I <laughs> This is either an I or an A. L-A-L-C-S-L, -L, let's say. And oh, hey, Meredith Warren, whose work we recommended for today. I didn't even realize she was nerd of the week. Hey, Meredith. Join us next time for more History of the World Religions Part 1 when we chat about Buddhism and are helped out by a guest expert, Dr. Dishwan Yujin Chen. Rad. Shout out to our research assistant, Alex Castellano, whose transcription work makes this pod accessible and therefore awesome. Need more religion nerdery? You know you do. 
And you know where to find us. It is Twitter. The answer is Twitter. You can find Megan on Twitter at MPGPHD and me at P-R-O-F-I-R-M-F or the show at Keeping It underscore 101. Find the website at KeepingIt101.com. Check out our Instagram. Become Nerd Royalty. And with that, peace out, nerds. Do your homework. It's on the syllabus. Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me. Oh, hear me. All pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15. Ten, ten commandments for all to obey.